0: So uh, we're carrying on this, we're looking at this generous generosity, <clears throat> we're talking about generosity, um, carrying on in this sort of flow over the last two weeks, looking at the pursuit of a generous heart. So that's what my message is tonight, the pursuit of a generous heart. Um, and on, I've come to believe that it's a truly rare thing, actually, like it's a sincerely beautiful quality to be generous. And, um, and I also want to show you tonight that I think it's essential, it's essential, generosity is essential, so... Um, we're going to track through a um, a piece of the Bible tonight, but um, I was kind of thinking that actually the Bible's not really, you know, it, it is a d- series of disconnected stories, but it's also just one single story, and so um, it's this story of like, what's wrong with the human race, and then what's God going to do about it, and then what happens in the end? That's my summary of the Bible right there. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> good guy always wins. Uh, so this, we're going to look at the biblical narrative, and um, I think it's, it's, it's incredibly selective. You know, there's so much more detail that could have been there. Um, apparently, none of the books, like all of the books in the world, couldn't have held the, the stories of what Jesus did. So um, it's very sparing in its words, and it tells you, I think, what you need to hear. So, for example, um, and that's what I want to look at tonight, the first family in Genesis. Um, you notice that the names only got to number 12, but the first 12 names of the Bible anyway, they they represent roles. Did anyone know that? And so Adam Adam's name derives itself from the phrase of the earth or man, right? Eve's name comes from the phrase life giver. How incredible is that? It's all carved in there. And then you have Cain and Abel, and they were the first and second born sons of Adam and Eve. Cain is derived from this agrarian roots to represent the role that he would have in agriculture, right? And then Abel is derived from ancient herdsmen and to represent uh, his role with livestock. And so you probably know this story, and I want to settle here, which is where Cain kills Abel, and afterwards he says, I'm afraid the people will attack me. And um and then Kay goes and lays with his wife and um and they have kids and come on. He knew her. <coughs> uh, but like, where did that woman come from? Where did his wife come from? Like Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Uh sorry. Like, <laughs> and then he made a city with who? For who? And why? Like how? Um so There's some information uh, that the writer has uh, not added in there. And that's okay. Because actually, he was trying to get a point across. And um, rather than teaching us information, he's telling us about a truth. He being the author, ultimately God. So he's wanting us to learn something and to gain revelation. And so I want to look at this story of Cain and Abel tonight. And I really believe that there's some revelation in it for us. If you're willing to go on that journey with me. You ready? Okay, so we're going to look from Genesis chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you're welcome to open it. We're going to track from verses 1 to 18. Um, now, Adam knew Eve, knew Eve, <clears throat> his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Probably, it's probably started as a baby, but uh, a man. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also bought an off, uh, bought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fair. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. This is confusing. You know, So both, both roles, keeping sheep and tilling the ground, were, were equal before God. Okay? So there was nothing innate of these two boys, um, born of the seed of first Adam, that would inherently cause God to look with favor upon one and not the other. Which is what I want to focus on here tonight. Why was one gift acceptable and the other not? It's really subtle. It's very subtle. And I think all matters of the heart are. But it is entirely to do with the nature of the position of the heart in the gift. See, in the Old Testament, even before the covenant was made between God and Mo, um, on behalf of the people, a sacrifice was made for the purpose of either atonement, which is to gain momentary pardon for sin, or just as an offering, you know, of thanksgiving or celebration. But in this instance, the text doesn't differentiate between whether it was an offering or a gift, uh, sorry, or a sacrifice, to the point where Cain and Abel, their gift was, it was actually devoid of, it was absent of the concept of substitutionary atonement, which is the shedding of blood to cover sins. And so there's no mention in the text of God ever explaining to them about what a blood sacrifice was, um, that it would be required for restoring them to wholeness. Um, Although God did demonstrate it twice beforehand to their parents. And I'm sure their parents probably told them, right? So Adam and Eve, you guys know the story of Adam and Eve? Yeah, Yeah, so uh, the first blood was spilled when God took Eve from Adam's being, right? It was a sacrifice that brought about wholeness, wholeness for Adam. Though something was taken from him, he gained wholeness in having a companion of the same likeness and the same nature to share and to reproduce in life. And God said, it's not good that Adam should be alone. So, And therefore, um, the first sacrifice was initiated by God for human wholeness. And even there, pre-fall, we can see God hinting at what's going to come later, right? His plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. The second sacrifice was when the first ever animals were killed to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness and their shame after the original sin. This this can be seen as the first blood spilt to cover sin and the act of forgiveness. Prophetically, it speaks of the perfect sacrifice which was going to come some 4,000 years later. There's no, there's no indication in the text um, that they were trying to approach God, this is Cain and, Adel, Cain and Abel, for forgiveness. Um, so it's most likely that these were gifts to God. They were like seasonal celebrations, right? And it was just a part of communing with God in celebration over the, the yield of their work, the brother's work. You know, So they were rendering to God to sanctify the rest of their crop or their flock. Um, it wasn't about giving something up in so much as it was about making what they had already retained holy and, and acceptable to God. And think about, um, think about that in the context of our gifts through heart for his house today you know, and over the last weekend. Um, a, a lot of commentaries interpret God's rejection of Cain's gift to be because it wasn't a blood sacrifice, but the text doesn't actually support that interpretation. And in fact, it's it's really subtle, um, but let's just read here carefully. It says, Abel also bought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Now, if you have sheep herder, anyone deal with sheep? Anyone sheep herder? Yeah, yeah man, awesome. Um, and you're, like, if your livelihood is dependent on newborn lambs, right? Uh, then you would be, it would be prudent, it would be quite shrewd of you to wait until all your sheep had given birth to know how many lambs there were going to be before you decided the gift that you were going to give, right? Uh, 12, okay, 10%, right, there we go. Um, here's my tithe, Lord. The greater risk... The greater risk, the more sacrificial thing to do would be to give of the firstborn before the others arrive. What if what if your twelve sheep only had two lambs between them, and you've already given the first lamb? Well, that, that's fifty percent. Shivers. Oh, I don't know, God. That's it's a bit excessive. <clears throat> like I, you know, don't want to be too generous. Um, but this is this is the principle of first fruits. You know, when we give before we pay our rent or our power bill or buy food or make a car payment or whatever we spend our money on, um, we demonstrate that we recognize God is able and He's faithful to provide for us, to provide for our needs. And it's actually an act of like trusting Him beforehand. You can see able here. So He actually gave of His flock, plural, not just, not just singular, and he gave her the best parts, the fatty parts, oh, the fat of the lamb. Uh, it's the most costly parts for trading and for eating and for, um, for his livelihood. But you can see that this is, this is entirely a matter of the heart. Generosity requires true sacrifice. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't actually, uh, it doesn't cost you until it hurts, you know. Like, until you notice the risk and it has the potential to hurt you. How, how, do, how, do we, how do we guard our hearts so that actually generosity flows? It flows freely. We're gonna read on. It's in verse six. <clears throat> so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, not, uh, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin lies at the door and its desirous for you, but you should rule over it. This is amazing because both these men know God, right? Like they're having an outright conversation with him, he's talking to them like, like friends. And here, God tells Cain the reason why he rejected his sacrifice it was because he had given it with the wrong posture of heart. If you do well, you will be accepted. Like, in the Amplified translation, I love the Amplified, um, <clears throat> it elaborates, right? That's why. That do well part, it defines it as if you believe God and do what is acceptable and pleasing to Him. See, th- this is a theme. Like if you read the prophets, it runs right throughout the prophets. who They speak out publicly about people's presumption that God would accept their sacrifices regardless of, of their heart attitude or regardless of how they treat other people around them. And so God is pointing to Cain. He's pointing out this growing root of bitterness and he's giving him opportunity to repent. Repent and then offer your sacrifice. In, in Hosea, Hosea 6, 6, it says this. It says, "'For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, "'the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings.'" And again, in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two, Samuel says, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams or lambs. Do you get that? Like we're so used to doing like this cost benefit analysis before we do give, right? <laughs> you know, like, is that really obedience? Cain had this opportunity to preemptively weigh what he was thought he was giving away, you know? Whereas Abel gave before knowing. And you see Cain was still serving self-interest. He was still, he was still in the driver's seat. He was still kind of uh, hedging his bets and, and relying on his own resourcefulness. What would it look like to not spend money on yourself? <laughs> like to not be so selfish? Because he's God. And as Gideon said this morning, uh, you can't serve two masters, both God and mammon. Why does he pin those two things up against each other? Like of all the things he could have chosen to pin up against God, mammon. Mammon being love of money. If you put self-interest first, you will serve money and be a slave to it. In verse eight, we're gonna carry on. Verse eight, now Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and he killed him. Like What the heck? Like how, did, how did that escalate so quickly? Remember, God had just said sin was lying at the door. In another translation, it says, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you to overpower you, but you must master it. Honestly, it's like an animal. It's like a tiger prowling around and lurking in the shadows just outside the door of your heart, ready to pounce, ready to rip you limb from limb. That's the image that it conjures up, especially back in this agrarian culture. You know, they're out in the fields. They understand this stuff. James 1.15 says this. Then when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do you notice the flow there, the progression? This temptation entered into the heart and conceived sin and then it leads to death. It seems, it seems such a, like a drastic plummet. Like it's just so sudden from allowing temptation to linger long enough to take seed in your heart and then boom, sin leads to death. It starts germinating in your life. What's interesting is that Cain had to blame someone, right? Rather than look at his own stinginess, of heart, he he took it out on his brother. Your younger brother, is anyone got a younger brother? (laughs) We all have younger brothers in Christ. (laughs) Your younger brother is meant to be your reinforcement, not your replacement. If you are threatened by your younger brother, then you don't know your identity yet. See, we are, we are, all brothers and sisters in Christ we are one family and when you see someone as your replacement you're looking at them through the eyes of through the lens of you are a threat to me a threat to my money a threat to my position a threat to my relationships a threat to my status a threat to my platform it's a clear litmus test that you need to grow in maturity the maturity of your identity who are you in light of who who God is See, when you see someone as you're a reinforcement, the lens through which you see them reveals that the more I invest in you, the stronger you'll be, the stronger I'll be, the stronger we'll be together. You could, you could say, well, that's still kind of self centric, if you can see that. There's still a there's still about you ultimately. But I would I would say that entirely like this scripture, like this story, it entirely depends on the motivation of your heart. See, a generous heart sees the investment in others and it gives freely. A generous heart even gives sacrificially. It costs you. Whether that is a gift from God or to God rather, or the gift of just pouring your life out into others around you. You see when Jesus invested in his 12 disciples, knowing that they were his main reinforcements, right? knowing that he only really had 12 chances to keep the message and the testimony of his gospel alive, 12 witnesses of his life firsthand, do you think he was thinking about himself when he invested in them? We're going to go to verse 9 back to our scripture. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? God says, where's your brother, Abel? Where's your brother, Abel? And look, at, look how quickly, look how cold Cain's heart, has, his answer, you know? Like, how would I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Does this create a God. This is like, as far as we know, this is the first murder in humanity. And look at the contempt of Cain's heart. What a smart ass. This is is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, like in this current season of Christianity, with our rampant pride and our smart assiness, we have to return to the fear of the Lord. You, you, honest. You'd think God would just smite Cain right there, and be like, "Your blood can cry out from the ground, the same as Abel's." But you know this is so beautiful. God doesn't do that. Instead, we see the beauty of His mercy. And and, and He is doing absolutely everything to give Cain opportunities to repent. The blood of your brother. Cries out from the ground, he says. See, sin, sin is a man curved in on himself or a woman. The, the Bible defines sin as always focusing on yourself, it's choosing yourself over God, over others, always placing yourself in the center. What that means is that even when you're doing good things, it's always about you. sin means that that you relate to god, to god to others only in such a way that it furthers your agenda that that things are going your way that that god or others are doing things the way that you want them done that i don't know as long as it gives you the self image that you want to have or want to project as soon as something you know, as soon as it becomes something that's very costly, that our relationship with God or others becomes costly, then we're like, yeah, we're out of it. <laughs> Why? Because even when it looks like we're serving God and others, we're often just serving ourselves. that That's how insidious sin is. but repentance goes to the root of that. It's like immediately cuts to the root of that. It means you take yourself out of the center and you begin to heal the hardness and the pride that sin establishes in your your heart. And therefore, I, I really believe that few things are as important as repentance. The story goes on, verse 10. And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground And I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, watch his mercy. Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall come, shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone find him should kill him. And then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden so here's Cain, you know, maybe he's weeping by this stage. Maybe he's, maybe he's actually crying out. And yet he says, my punishment is more than I can bear. You know, like he's, he's upset, but, but here's the tragedy. There is a kind of sorrow. There's a kind of, oh, I'm sorry for what I've done. That is just as self-absorbed. It's just as self-centered as the sin that you were crying about. See, notice he's not saying, oh, what an act of violence, what this act of violence has cost you, Lord. You know, He's not saying, oh, I can't stand the thought of my very own brother lying there in his own blood. I, I can see that my heart was ensnared by my greed by my self-protection, by my own interests. My own interests became greater than the life of my dear brother whom I love. What he's saying is, I'm really upset about what's going going to happen to me. He's, He's sorry for the consequences of the sin rather than the sin. See, if repentance is so important that God was giving Cain every opportunity to repent and it's so easy to miss, then I think, then, I don't know, we really need to foster this skill of repentance. eh? Like as a community, we should be a community of people where we help each other to repent, like really quickly. Where we we're so quick to say, "Oh well, you know, I can own this part of it. Like I can own my stuff. I can allow God to examine, Holy Spirit to examine my heart." See, at the root of the heart of the root of the human race is this. It's just illustrated right back here in the first family, is this inability to repent. And God is being exceptionally gracious. He's constantly giving Cain opportunities to reflect and to confront his own self, his own sin, and, and, and see the error of his ways to repent. But instead, he resists, and he can't see past himself. Now, remember that this all began with, with an offering, with a gift, A free will gift too. Not something like, it wasn't compulsion. It wasn't an ordinance of law that they had to observe. In fact, the law hadn't even arrived yet on the scene. So they weren't violating something. He simply had an attitude of heart that reserved the best for himself. And he gave out of the overflow rather than sacrificially. And that that inclination to self that he gave out of his leftovers that heart posture opened up his entire life to temptation. The temptation to choose self over others. And it immediately it led to death. Too fast. You know that um, that Jesus spoke about generosity second only to as much as he spoke about the kingdom. And you you have to ask yourself why. Because I think of all things, Holding on to something too closely has the potential to corrupt your heart. Back here, it was seen back here, first family, first family of humanity on Earth, and already they didn't have our currency, but they're struggling with mammon to cause your self-interest to guide your decisions in your life. Can we um, have a team? <laughs> Actually, let's stand together. I just want to pray. You know, like, it's pretty hard-hitting Scripture to find off the bat. There's the law of firsts, you know. When something is said first in the Scripture, you've got to take heed. You've got to notice. You've got to recognize that He's speaking to us about something here. And honestly, tonight, um, we've got communion up the front here. And I I want us to take an opportunity tonight to repent. Because God is turning up his spirit in our midst. And in doing so, he's wanting us to clean up our act or he's cleaning up our act. (laughs) And I think a lot of regards, we could probably find ourselves in this story. And we like to be the good guy, but I can see a lot of Cain in me. God, would you break off the contentiousness around our hearts, the hardness that that we would see when we are serving our own self-interest, especially as it attains to money. May it not have any power over me, Lord, that it would not ensnare my heart and lead me into destruction. We 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 desire God, we, we yearn that you would take first place. That that you God would sit on the throne of our hearts and and not be displaced by anything. May we have no idols before you. May there be nothing of self-interest in our hearts. As you have been to us, you you loved us first, you first loved. You pursue us in repentance, graciously, lovingly, kindly, wooing us back, that you would have our hearts restored, that we would be tender and soft again before you. So Lord, we just, we just repent. I just want to invite you now to come have communion. There's communion up here. It's only up here, so just in your own time, as the band washes over us and as we have this moment with just you and the Lord, uh, come to that beautiful communion table, the table of exchange, and I just want us to hand over our stuff. and you know Lord, I've held on to this too tightly, I know, Lord, this has a power over me. And I, I, I believe that this is going to break something in your life tonight. It's a prophetic act of choosing God over mammon. Of saying, Lord, you're the only one I serve. So come now.